This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we speak with Angie Hamala and Representative Dave Paul, both of whom are in very competitive races in the 10th Legislative District. This was recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, October 6th. We will talk next with Angie Hamala and Representative Dave Paul. Angie Hamala has lived, worked, and volunteered on Whidbey Island for 23 years. She is an architect and former carpenter, laborer, and machinist. She has a master's in environmental law and policy and has served as Island County Commissioner from 2009 to 2013 during the Great Recession. Representative Dave Paul was elected to the State House in 2018 and is running for re-election this year. He is the vice chair of the Education Committee, and he also sits on the committees for college and Workforce Development and Transportation. He is currently Vice President of the Skagit Valley College and also serves on the Island County Economic Development Council. Uh, Angie Hamala, welcome to you. Thank you so much. And uh, Representative Paul, welcome to you, sir. Thank you so much for having us. So I, I have to tell you, I enjoyed speaking with both of you in advance of this so much. And I just I, I want to jump in on a couple of points that, that we talked about early on. I'll, Angie, I'll start with you on this. So you talk on your website about how witnessing an abuse of power in government started you on the road to public service. And I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about the importance of transparency and accountability in our government? Indeed, I can. I guess I wanted to start with I feel like we've just had this decades long drive to brainwash people into not talking about politics or religion. And that has resulted really in a divide in our country. And it has prioritized corporate government and the lack of civics in our schools has left people really not knowing about government, not knowing how important their voice is. And I honestly really didn't have a big connection to government until in my workplace some 17 years ago, I was working in the planning department at Island County. And I was, at, I was a plans examiner and I was asked to create design guidelines for Evie's Landing National Historical Reserve, a very special place. And I set out to do that. And not too long after I embarked on that, I was delivered a letter of uh, uh, that I wasn't doing a good job, a letter of warning, a a reprimand letter in a red sleeve. And it was just a big shock. And I thought, what's going on? And after many, many months of harassment and the sabotage of my file, I actually finally asked the boss, you know, what is it that caused this consternation? And I was told that it was the work on that, those guidelines. And then he turned to his secretary and said, I want the lid kept closed on that box. I want that stricken from the record. And come to find out that the county, the sitting county commissioner who had really strong ties to development had thwarted those guidelines for a long time, standards by which people would build in the reserve because he saw them as a hindrance to development. So I negotiated a layoff with my union and some five years later, I was working on a grant application and discovered a misabuse of a half a million public tax dollars by the same official. And that got me going to city and county meetings where the citizens had two minutes to speak their their thoughts. Then they sat down and the policy setters set policy usually against what the public wanted. So I realized I knew people's voices were very important, but I realized policy setting was crucial. So I ran for county commissioner and I beat the incumbent uh, who had been in for 16 years by just 62 votes in a hand recount. I took office and really started a whole new era of respectful equal representation for the public. And I went from whistleblower to problem solver to policy setter. And those are things I'd like to take to the state level. 
And some of those included really took a long time, but I finally got cameras in our hearing room so that the public could actually participate in our meetings, much like watching TBW for, at the state level. And I'd love to make that even easier for people. Changed all of our committee assignments so that they were actually advertised in the paper and vetted publicly. Changed it such that all new employees that came in actually were given an indoctrination about what unions were about and that they had the opportunity to be represented and how the, the, the review process works so that they weren't just up against their boss, but they could have a third party, the HR director in the room at the time. And um, I really feel strongly about protecting public records. And I know that it can cripple local governments with these um, massive records requests and I've experienced that, but I'm reluctant to take that privilege away and that very important piece away from citizens' ability to actually see what their governments are doing, which is why I feel strongly about government services over private services. So hopefully um, we can get to that later. Absolutely. And we will. Yeah. And Representative Paul, I want to turn to you because you have a formidable education background. I mean, you've worked in it for years. This is your academic background for sure. Uh, Why did you decide to run for elected office? Well, thank you, Stefan. So first of all, I want to say thank you to everybody who's here. I I see so many folks from the 10th district, uh, so many folks who have been in our home or I've been in their home. And it's just wonderful to see this community Uh, especially this year when I haven't been able to see folks face face to face. So, you know, two years ago when I looked at our state delegation, it was just very conservative. And the district, it has a reputation for being very conservative, but the district is really moderate. And it it voted for Hillary Clinton by a point. It votes for Maria Cantwell. It votes for Hattie Murray. We at one point had three women county commissioners. And then I realized I made a terrible mistake because I'm not a woman. And, uh, but, but it, it really is a moderate district. And when you looked at voices from the LGBT community, when you look at dreamers, when you look at progressives, they just weren't represented well in Olympia. And so I, I ran uh, on those issues and it was very fortunate to be able to meet a lot of voters um, at their doorstep. And we, we won a narrow race, um, but it's been a true joy Uh, to represent the 10th district in the state legislature. Um, I would like to, as I did with Joy, shift over next and talk about COVID and how it is impacting our state uh, and our district. Um, Angie, we may be looking, experts say we may be looking at another potential wave of the pandemic in fall and winter. And I wonder, just generally speaking, how would you assess what we have learned thus far and, and what actions would you like to see us take going forward? Well, I think what we've learned so far in this rude awakening with this pandemic is that we, this is not the only crisis that's impacting us. We have climate change coming forward, a loss of housing. We have challenges with in, uh, living wage jobs. And one positive that might've come out of this is as, as mentioned earlier by Joy, is that people have shown an ability to really make change rapidly and to come together and that we can use that to our advantage. And I think we're not through the whole pandemic crisis. And what we need to do is make sure we're following science, that we're listening to professionals, that we're taking good care of each other, and that it's our responsibility to do that. And that bad information just creates emergencies and spreads the virus. So going forward, I would hope, unfortunately, our president has decided to delay negotiations that would enable us to continue um, helping out our local governments. And I'm hoping that we get through that right away because I'd like to see us continue the CARES Act. It helped provide K through 12 education and it helps us with our hospital services and Medicaid and disaster relief. 
And we also really need further um, help with unemployment. I'd like to see that unemployment really extend to some of our guest workers and our independent contractors who sometimes slip through the cracks here, even though we absolutely rely on their services. And we really need to try to get people back to work. We need to do that carefully. And I think that our governor's done a great job of being, taking careful steps. We're all learning this together. There's been some discussion that we didn't, that it wasn't really precise enough. Well, how can we be precise about a disease that's affecting us? And we're doing, I think we've made some really good strides forward. Um, I would like to see us work a little harder on a special emergency preparedness task force. And in so doing, put together some standardized pandemic and food and housing natural disaster plan so that we're actually making our own PPE in our state and how we're housing it here with a plan to roll that out should this continue to affect us or we have another pandemic coming forward. And we could use that same model for dealing with climate change prevention. Yeah, and all of these things are sort of in the orbit of science. And, and Representative Paul, uh, I will just let uh, viewers and listeners know that your opponent recently held a 400-person fundraiser at the Skagit Regional Airport with, I think, maybe 5% of attendees wearing masks. I, I tried to formulate a question around this, and I, I really can't. I, I will just ask, what was your response when you, when you heard about that? Um, well, it was shock and frustration and anger. Uh, so going back to something Angie said, you, you want to, you know, our, our healthcare professionals, we, I started working with them in March to find out what their advice was. And we now know their advice was very sound. Uh, social distancing matters, washing hands matter, wearing masks matters. And, you know, so in August and September, when the data is really clear that those things work to have my opponent do that is really frustrating. It, it, it really angers me because there are folks on this phone call or on this Zoom call who have lost family members to COVID. We had one of the early outbreaks in our state in Skagit County uh, with a community group. And, and you know, I'm friends with members of that choir. They have talked about the effects of COVID and how they still have not fully recovered from the disease. It is a terrible disease. And I just fundamentally think we need community leaders that are gonna to work to keep our community safe. Uh, and my opponents work to spread really horrible rumors, false claims about COVID is just terrible and not the sort of leadership we need at the state level. On a related topic, of course, is healthcare, uh, and I know that you've done a ton on on healthcare in the last session, including uh, supporting a measure to approve two hundred and twenty five million dollars for funding for our state's COVID nineteen response. Uh, I would love it if you could just talk about a few of your other achievements in the session. So thank you. Uh, so I think the my most I'm most proud of the achievement of you. you I really work hard to listen to folks before figuring out what I'm going to do or what I'm going to propose. So I listened to healthcare providers, I listened, listened to nursing home operators and learned so much more about our Medicaid uh, reimbursement rates and how they're so low uh, for rural healthcare providers. And this is not just something that affects Island County and Skagit County and in the Northern part of Snohomish County, it affects you know, all rural districts, Kitsap County where Joy's from. You know, it's just something we have to address. So we worked really hard in the budget to increase those rates and it, it helps our, you know, here on in Woodby Island where Angie and I live, we have pediatric practices that are trying to bring in mental health providers and they weren't able to do so with those, those current, th those previous rates. 
Um, then we also work to help lower the costs of insulin, uh, to help lower the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, and I'm proud that we've worked hard to also help better fund uh, mental health and behavioral health and um, addiction recovery. Angie, I want to bring you into the discussion here because y- your approach is, is quite frankly, it's, it, it, it's, it's very impressive on an intellectual level. You lay out a holistic vision of how healthcare fits together with public health and safety. I wonder if you can just kind of briefly talk about that. Well, first, I really want to thank um, Representative Paul. I know it was really hard work in the in challenging environment in the legislature and getting these important steps forward to for healthcare is, is a huge lift. So um, just to kind of add on to that, having worked at the county level where we have just a very broad spectrum of services we need to try to provide. And I was a county commissioner during the great recession and discovered we had to cut 20% of our budget and managed to do that while still taking care of people. It was, it, it was another reminder of why we really need to have government that's helping us and not just private practice because when we needed to get it revise our um, mental health care facility nobody would bid on it we went out to five bidders and nobody wanted to do it because it doesn't make money so if you're a for-profit company you're not going to bid on something like that and our um, human services director rallied up met with the commissioners and said why don't we just do this ourselves it was unusual but we found a way to do that and opened our doors so we could help people and it was uh, a necessary step and we continue to see this growing problem with our aging community. We have a very high percentage of aging uh, folks that actually die from opioid addiction. Our veterans are impacted by this. We, every county in the state has available to them the use of a, a tax or a levy that helps veterans. And it's not really being used properly. I discovered pretty quickly that they just kept this fund full so that the money could actually be shifted to other departments and we weren't serving our indigent veterans. So I revamped that whole program with the help of my fellow commissioners. And we went from serving five to 100 indigent veterans in that first year. And that had me visiting various uh, veteran service centers only to find out so many veterans, especially these veterans that were in the Vietnam War and the veterans now that are coming uh, they're aging such that they're not busy all the time or, or they're impacted now because they may not be working because of COVID. And then they start remembering those things that cause PTSD that really made them struggle. So our psychiatric ward is falling apart in Washington state. So we have a really big picture of public safety. We shouldn't be picking people up off the road with our um, police officers trying to cope with how to address these. We don't have enough hospital beds, which is an issue coming way back from the federal government. People go to the hospital just long enough to be released and put back out on the street or they're incarcerated. So that's perhaps the holistic piece that we need to look at. And there's a lot of programs I would support, but first of all, we need not, we need to get away from for-profit insurance and get towards preferably single payer, but if nothing else, something similar to what maybe Germany's doing that is not for profit. It gets people health care and not health insurance. Well, you, you know, uh, Representative Paul, uh, uh, Angie here is talking at the county level, uh, the need for funding for uh, substance abuse and, and mental health services. And you touched on this just a little bit in your previous answer. But I wonder if you can talk about the need for this in the 10th and specifically from your experience in the legislature, how you get those dollars. Well, yeah. So thank you for that question. So 
one of the things that, that can be frustrating is you can have bipartisan support for the capital budget, you can have bipartisan support for the transportation budget. And with mental health, um, so folks are all, of, they, they support across party lines building the facilities, but then they don't support the funding on the operation budget. So you have to do both. It, it's, you can't just build the facility, you actually have to staff it. And that means also encouraging folks to go into those professions. Those, those chemical dependency professionals, oftentimes those jobs don't pay well. Um, folks get mountains of student debt and that's just, that's just a crime. So we either need to lower the cost of tuition on those programs or we need to look at things where we are reimbursing uh, um, loan forgiveness programs for public service like with chemical dependency. Well, you know, that segues perfectly into my next question, was, which was about uh, economic opportunity and the economic recovery. And you, Representative, have uh, prioritized a living wage for people who live in the 10th. You're talking about that with mental health jobs. You also say you would like to, and this really stuck with me, you'd like to develop jobs that can't be outsourced. Can you talk about that? What sorts of jobs? Yeah. So I think we should always be thinking about, can the job, is the we don't want to train people for a job that, that then can be easily outsourced out of the country. So I think a lot about jobs that are really critically important like healthcare or auto repair. Um, and if you don't do those right, somebody could die. You know, you, you, we've, those are important um, skilled professions uh, that require two, three years worth of training. And then we, they are paid accordingly. And we can't, we're not gonna ship your Honda overseas to get it fixed. So focusing on jobs that, that will stay here. And then I think also thinking about, as Angie talked about, uh, the enjoy the need to have personal protective equipment built in our state. We have great light manufacturing across our state. We could require that, that we're actually manufacturing it for our facilities in our state. That has the double impact not only of the family wage jobs, but helps with regional resiliency if we have a major earthquake. So I think that there is a lot of thought about that now. Um, I also will say in terms of green energy, when we look at repairing solar panels and we think about wind turbines, we need to make sure that we're paying people well. Um, and we need to be getting, as we talk about trying to get away from fossil fuels, we wanna get those people into those industries as well and they need to pay well. Absolutely agreed. And, you know, the, Angie, I will just shift the conversation over to you in maybe more of a philosophical uh, way and just ask you, what mechanisms do you see that we can avail our, ourselves of that will encourage this, you know, this high quality of life and these sustainable jobs in the tent that Representative Paul is talking about? Well, this is a very um, geologically uh, challenged demographic here in the tent because we have islands, we have the mainland, then we have a transition, we have three tribal nations residing within the boundaries of the tent. So we need to be thinking about all of these things together. And we need to be mindful that a lot of people, we, we live here because we love it here. And that it goes back again to the Growth Management Act and protecting that and following those 13 to 14 goals we have that help us protect the very things that matter to us. And one of our, our main industries here is the military. And we also have a lot of people who have living wage jobs that work in the fossil fuel industry. So I would encourage us to adopt the clean fuel standards and also advance our um, electric vehicle program 
so that we can actually have that just transition that we need that will avail people of living wage jobs. And Representative Paul is exactly right. We need to find the kinds of niche jobs that will help people be able to stay here and not have to be forced to commute long distances. We, are, we, have, we do have a strong tourism piece here, which means we have to protect that quality of life. And I'm really thankful for the work that our Representative Paul has done and others in bringing us dollars here to this district that'll help advance our bicycle routes. We have certainly great campgrounds, we have hiking, we, and we have a strong um, farm community. I helped move forward the resolution to our state legislators that ended up getting the sustainable farms uh, bill passed that encourages local farming, which is a big uh, step here. And I would like us to try to work a little bit harder on the um, challenges between our clearing and grading permits and our forest practice permits such that you can still get the public benefit rating to protect your forests while not necessarily having to cut them all down because there's still a benefit and there's an ecosystem service that's involved in that. So I think we have the potential here and um, making sure that we have vocational schooling. I tried to get a program for summer school that would allow students and maybe adults to use the shop classes that sit empty all summer that would give us the opportunity to have that vocational schooling. And I know uh, Mr. Paul is also very uh, interested in that. We tried to work together, but it just really couldn't get off the ground. But maybe we can help inspire that with state grants. And you're referring to Representative Paul's uh, Summer Running Start program. Um, and I will mention, Representative Paul, that you serve as the vice chair of the Education Committee. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about your deep uh, background in, in education. You managed to introduce a lot of legislation on the education front this year. And I would love to just kind of give you the floor for just a couple of minutes to talk about some of your successes. Sure. So thank you so much. So first of all, folks, I've got to stop calling me Representative Paul. So I, everybody calls me Dave. Okay. Um, so Fair it's enough. Weird. Okay. <laughs> Andrew and I have known each other for 12 years. Uh, you got to start calling me Dave. Uh, Can do. Uh, so I'm really proud of, of a couple of measures out of the Education Committee. So dual credit programs help students get high school credit, I'm sorry, college credit while they're still in high school. So CTE dual credit and Angie, uh, touched on that just a minute ago. You have folks that are actually learning a trade in high school. We should articulate as many of those as possible so that students can earn, go on to an apprenticeship program or go on to a trade school or community college and get credit. College in the high school allows students to actually earn the credit while still at their physical high school campus. Um, that's a great program and we should be encouraging more high schools and colleges to articulate those. And then running start, students go to the college. Um, and right now they're doing online classes, uh, distance ed classes. But so two things that, that I'm really proud of. One is that we helped lower the cost for needy students, students on free and reduced uh, lunch, so that they can help pay for their um, textbooks. And that program um, now Skagit Valley College and Everett Community College and there's other colleges um, have that those dollars and students can start getting those dollars in the winter quarter. Um, and then the other program is running, uh, running Start is uh, associated with the traditional academic year, but students couldn't take summer classes or if they did, they had to pay for that out of pocket. Um, so we created a summer Running Start program and we, for years, years at the community college, thank you, Stephanie, um, years, folks have said, you just can't be done. The funding models doesn't work. There are too many problems and we worked together and got it completed. And I believe Skagit will be one of those uh, pilot programs. We'll have three pilot programs in the state. 
and I'm so excited that students can start their first class in the summer when they don't have the pressure of the academic year. Um, and it's perfect for the colleges because the colleges have emptier classrooms in the summer. Angie, I will just ask you, uh, with the unfortunately short time that we have remaining, where on the education you uh, front that you feel that we are doing well here in Washington, and this is uh, K through 12 as well as post-secondary, and where are we coming up short? Well, I think we're, our mandate to meet the K through 12 piece, we're, we're trying to do a good job there, but we still fall short because I think pre-K is important and childcare is important for the pre-K piece. And I think we could really need to ramp up a little bit more with the vocational schooling. So I'm excited about these programs. I still think we aren't using the full potential of our structures and we're not using all the shops we could be using to get people the opportunity to work with their hands. Students seem to be pushed now in 11th grade to choose either a trade track or a vocational track. And I did both. And I think that if you're going to be a white collar worker, if you learn to use your hands, it's gonna do better for that job. And if you don't wanna be going down an academic track, you need to be able to use your hands for your skill. So I would love to see us do that. I'd really like to see our state have something like the CCC did many years back during the Great Depression that would let people have an opportunity out of high school where they put in some service in our state in a different discipline, maybe um, construction, engineering, healthcare, so that we are actually helping people transition, providing a stipend for housing and giving them a skill to hit the ground running with, with in our workforce. And all of this is related to taxation. And I have this question just for you, because this is something that we discussed in our preparation. Uh, you, w- listeners and viewers know we have the most upside down tax structure in the nation. And it is, as you say, largely based on the demand for growth and growth uh, for its own sake is a very poor metric for quality of life. Uh, I'm wondering how, how you would like to balance our taxation in a way that is fairer. Well, we do know we have the worst, the the most regressive tax structure in the nation, and it is really built on a spend or tax model that is reliant on property taxes and sales taxes. So it means you need to go spend money to stimulate the economy, and you need to be building constantly to stimulate the economy, which is a model based on the growth of population and buildings and not so much on the growth of quality of life. But in order to make a change in that, we we have to bear in mind that that does require two-thirds vote of our people. So what I would love to see us do is not just the good work that we're doing at the legislative level between a bipartisan committee that's looking at our our, our tax structure, but I would really like to see economists employed to do this with a third party that really looks hard at our existing tax structure. It looks at a couple of alternatives, it engages the public, and then let them actually see what those alternatives might be so that they can make a choice and informed decision on what works best for them. And in the meantime, we have to come up with a more fair tax structure. We have some huge multi-million dollar companies in our state that in order to have some control over regulation have offered to pitch in to help offset the homelessness and the crises that they have helped create with the gentrification and pushing people out of homes. My opponent objects to that, which I don't understand. I would be in support of it, but I wanna make sure it's not just in the Seattle area that will also expand regionally and help us all out. Um, those are some steps I think we could take to make more fair taxation that's um, more immediate. I think that's extraordinary, and, and I love the public involvement aspect of that. Uh, Dave, in the time that we have remaining, what are your legislative goals for the next session? Well, thank you so much. So continue to work on dual credit. I think that's critically important. I also think it's critically important that we continue to work on protecting public health. 
Uh, so we will continue to be, be working on that. I'm really excited that we have opportunities to improve our transportation infrastructure. So uh, when we talk about the biggest emitter of fossil or greenhouse gases, uh, you know, the clean fuel standards would be a great step. Uh, and, and, you know, that is not bad for our district. It's good for our district. It helps. It will help make the, the uh, petroleum products coming out of our uh, refineries in our district cleaner. Uh, we should be looking, I'm really excited about hybrid ferries and we need to rebuild our ferry fleet. Very excited that the initial ferry run, uh, the clinton Muckleteo run will get a hybrid ferry you know, from the last transportation budget. Um, from last transportation budget. Uh, and last thing is I'm excited that we're doing work on culverts, which are the salmon fish blockage, uh, which detrimental to our fish runs, so good for our quality of life that we, uh, for our native populations that we get those fixed. It has been posted in the show notes, but could you uh, give us your website, please, your campaign website? It's um, votedavepaul.com. All right, Dave Paul. Well, thank you. I will, I will stop calling you representative and I will say thank you. Uh, Angie, uh, I will just allow you the last word here. Uh, what does your campaign need briefly? And then just give us your, your website. Okay. Well, I think the, what we need is help because we can't knock on doors, but we are doing lit drop with masks and gloves. So we could use help with that, making phone calls to outreach to voters, which we're actually doing together to help each other's campaigns out here in the tent. We have, as uh, Dave mentioned earlier, this is a really purple district. You get across the finish line here if you're lucky with just tiny little margins. So that's really helpful. And we are also, um, we are doing postcards. We've sent out, I think, over 3,000 postcards. We placed 15,000 calls in the primary. And we're hard at it now. And we could use help with that. My website is angieforall.com. We just were fortunate enough to be elevated with the House Democratic Campaign Committee that brought us um, some support, enabled us to get a TV commercial, which will go out, actually two of them will go out here in the near future. So um, hit the, uh, and just help disseminate bad information. Our opposition seems to have no qualms about wallowing in the gutter. I mean, to the extreme, I just got another hit piece in the mail today against one of the opponents or one of my colleagues here in the tent. And it's just, crazy. People need to do a little bit of research, look at your facts, share that information on your Facebook, and let's stay uh, above the fray and do what's right and, and, and use truth and fact to guide us in our decisions. Perfect place to leave it. Dave Paul, thank you. And Angie Hamola, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for your generous time. Thanks again to Angie Hamola and Dave Paul. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Onjewski with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Fysears. Special thanks to Lori Cowell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.